welcome back to another Start Mindsets podcast episode. I think this one's going to be a fun one. Uh, Greg Shepard is skilled in a variety of, he's just well known in the business world and, and also the, I don't know how to say it, but I think we're going to find out today. Um, Greg is, you know, the founder of Boss Capital, as well as he has, he's done a TEDx talk at, at San Diego, I believe, and I don't even know where to begin. So I just want to say welcome <laughs> to Greg. Shepard, this is a pleasure to have you here on the, the podcast today. Welcome in from San Diego, Greg. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I guess to, uh, you know, I have a pretty crazy story, so um, I think it's pretty hard to explain anyway. Yeah, um, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I guess, you know, I'll start with this. Um, uh, I have uh, built and sold 12 companies, invested in a bunch. Um, in my 30-year history, I've only had one um, not work. Um, and, uh, I've won four private equity awards for transactions between 250 and a billion. Um, I have, uh, sold two companies to eBay. Uh, I have, um, written about a hundred articles for 30 publications like entrepreneur and Forbes and that sort of thing. I have a book coming out published by Forbes next year. Um, and, uh, I've done a Ted talk. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's the general, the, the list goes on a little bit more, but it gets ridiculous at some point. So, yes, <laughs> <you know, like, laughs> no, I, I can imagine. Uh, Greg, I just like to, like, I guess, paint the picture from the start here. I mean, you know, you're telling me how you grew up in the Bay Area in the East Bay and on the Creek, Oakland. Um, what, what, what I mean, what, what got you started in, in business or private equity? It seems like, yeah, so I'm neurodivergent, which means that I have um, uh, neuro means brain and divergent means different. So I have have a different brain and my uh so i have diagnose uh, uh diagnosis on autism dyslexia synesthesia and savant syndrome and uh, i hate that they say savant syndrome because it makes it sound really really bad but it's not it's kind of a nice thing um but what that meant for me growing up is that i you know went to five different um high schools and i was in special ed and and you know i didn't get taught anything uh and so i had to be a, self-taught okay. so i became an autodidact which is self-taught and i educated myself on everything from physics to history to mathematics um and in the process i learned that i wasn't gonna be able to go get a job like everybody else because i, I couldn't even get past the application process and at that point in my life i wasn't really you know talking that much um and and i was still trying to you know figure things out and i have a lot of like little uh, things that happen with autistic people, like sometimes stuttering or facial expressions or, uh -huh. you know, the way my hands move and stuff. So it kind of makes it so an interview, nobody wants to hire you because <laughs> they think something. You know, you know, Greg, I might have to just chime in. I feel like that's been me before. I'm not, I'm not saying I have, you know, no yeah. virgin, but you know, interviewed places, didn't go anywhere. So <laughs> yeah. And you, pain, and you, feel feel pain, like you know, yeah, and they're judging you based on, you know, and you're like, just let me do the job and I'll show you. Yeah, <laughs> Instead of, like, exactly. you know, putting me through this this thing that has nothing to do with whether or not I can do the, the job, you know. And they're judging you just like school used to do based on, you know, th their the way that they judge things, which is only through their lens. Hmm. And, and, you know, we we have... A, a different brain, you know, neurodivergent, different brain. And so, you, you know, you're being, it's like trying to teach a fish how to walk, right? And so, <laughs> you know, you put us in the water and we're fantastic, but you put us on the land. And so all the people are judging us based on how we walk on land, but we're fish. And so it, it I couldn't get a job anywhere, you know? So um, I started building businesses when I was in high school. I, I would sell Rubik's cubes and teach people how to solve Rubik's cubes. And I would sell, um, I used to catch rattlesnakes with a stick and uh, sell them to as exotic pets. Um, That's insane, man. Yeah. You never got bitten, did you? No, I used to create, I would create, I'd get this like long stick that was green and then I would <laughs> slice it down the middle and put a twig in between it and it would want to snap shut. And then I would sharpen the two points and I could come up behind the snake at a safe distance and stick the 
thing around its neck and the, the sharp points would stick in the dirt and then the twig would break and it would snap around it and it would hold it safe and then I could come up behind it and grab it and throw it in a bag. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they would use them for exotic pets and for snake venom. And so, you know, I learned at a young age, I was like, okay, well, I can make my own money. So I started, you know, building uh, businesses and, you know, it, did that the whole time and just got better and better. And then when the internet came out, um, I learned how to program and, and code. And then I started building, uh, right when it first started, I started building, you know, websites that sold things. I um, sold travel insurance and passports and visas and supplements. And I mean, like tons of sh just everything. You, just you were Amazon before they were. <laughs> yeah. <Amazon. laughs> all these, yeah, I was just selling all kinds of stuff. And then I sold, I ended up selling all those businesses and then started just evolving uh, my own way, you know, and uh, created this process, this way to build businesses that I call BOSS, which stands for the Business Operating Support System and Operating System. Sure. for building businesses. And that that process is what I followed in, in everything that I've done. And I started to have people asking me, like, what what is this thing? And I started speaking at um, universities and, and teaching people. And then I got a book deal with Forbes. And then, um, you know, I ended up uh, starting a school, an academy for entrepreneurship um, called Boss Startup Science, which is now taught at, um, you know, UCSD, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the California universities and UMass and, uh, Columbia and, you know, different universities as well as right. accelerators, um, to teach them about, you know, what boss is and how it works to help entrepreneurs. And my passion behind that was that when I, after I sold uh, the second business, um, in the eBay transaction, I, I wanted to help. So I went into politics and I became a chairman for uh, congressional candidates. Okay. Um, teaching them, I was using boss inside of congressional, um, you know, elections. And um, I was able to meet Barack Obama, which was friggin' awesome. Um, and the, one of the highlights of my whole life. And um, I found that 4% of people have the ability to get out from check to check living. And that 98% of them do it through a windfall. So that's like, believe it or not, lottery. Um, inheritance, uh, lawsuits, starting a business, so on and so forth. And 75% of that group did it by starting a business. But then 90% of them failed trying to start a business. So I went about this project. It took about five years. I spent about a half a million dollars trying to figure out why entrepreneurs were failing. And so this was a huge project with thousands and thousands of pages of data, a huge amount of data. And I figured out why they were failing. And then I went out and did interviews with like the Navy SEALs and the first fighting wing of the Air Force and police, the SWAT teams, the fire smoke jumpers and the fire departments and, you know, learned uh, from accelerators and entrepreneurs, 1200 interviews. And in that person to person interviews, you know, in that time frame, I learned all this data, put it up against the reasons why entrepreneurs failed and then applied boss in that structure and then was able to sort of put together a process that really helps entrepreneurs fail less often, right? Therefore, um, creating uh, wealth distribution, um, income equality, and helping out with people that are marginalized like myself and people of ethnicity. You know, I grew up in a family with foster and adopted, so different nationalities. And, you know, you, you see this sort of inequality across the board. And so this system that I created was meant to sort of help level the playing field you know for those people wow that's so interesting i mean um a lot a lot to unpack or a lot to <laughs> yeah you know, a lot to I mean, unpack there yeah yeah just a lot you've done um i found it really interesting you know you just sold snake <laughs> that's one of the <laughs> snake you sold i know snakes. everybody goes what as a rattlesnake i mean they're you know if you get them when they're cold and you you have that stick it's not i mean uh -huh. it's, yeah it's not as, <laughs> crazy as it sounds you know oh for sure so i guess like along the trajectory you were making you know startup businesses and selling you know people wanted to acquire them like uh is that how you got into pre the private equity equity uh yeah so after this boss a private equity firm or what is you know well there's boss capital partners which is our private equity it's our that's our uh syndicate for investing into startups and then boss startup science which is the uh 
educational platform to help entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. When I was started Boss Capital Partners with my other partners, we were looking at all these entrepreneurs and different deals. And I was trying to help them, you know, because I couldn't help myself and, and I wanted to help them. But then I quickly learned that, you know, there's too many and I couldn't help them. So then that's when I started working on the curriculum. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I could just send them to the school, right? And say, hey, go, go through these courses. You know, and the school has watch, listen, read, so you can consume it however you want. And it's got practicum, so you can actually type in answers and it creates things like your pitch deck for you. It's pretty cool. Wow, no, that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I think like we could shift into like your, this this part I'm reading in your, your website where it's about um, inspiration. You, you've done like for 20, pla- the past 20 years, you've done like a, like, like a annual, I guess highlight or something or something like that. The, the yeah, challenge. Challenge. yeah. 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 Like, uh, you gave, you gave a gallon of blood, uh, in a whole year. Yeah. I gave a gallon of blood one year. Um, I lost 30 pounds in 30 days one year. Um, I cr- wrestled a crocodile. I did bullfighting. I drove formula one car cars, NASDAQ, uh, Na- NASCARs. Um, I ran a marathon. I rode a bicycle 500 miles in five days. Um, do you have I mean, a favorite that you've done or like, uh, out of all these, all these yeah, wacky, I mean, crazy things? One of them was, um, to do a 500 pound deadlift five times on my 50th birthday. Really? Yeah. And I did 550 pounds five times on my 50th birthday. Okay. And that was... <laughs> You know, so you have to realize that, you know, I started in, in, uh, on my birthday, I start, I make the decision on what I'm going to do hmm. and then I work on it all year, you know? And, and so at the end of the year, by the end of the, before my next birthday, I have to have the, um, the thing done, you know? So do, do, year, do you ever fall short or like, does it ever like, I mean, yeah, does it ever I, not happen? Yeah. Yeah. So one time I was trying to climb in California, we have 14, 14,000 foot mountains that you can climb. There's actually 15, but one of them you're not allowed to climb because it's got wildlife on it. So <clears throat> I was trying to do 14, 14,000 foot mountains in 14 days. Oh my gosh. And uh, for multiple sclerosis, we were sponsored by multiple sclerosis. Or we were sponsoring multiple sclerosis. And we did eight and eight days. And then everybody was like in the hospital. So Oof. we... That one we couldn't do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, uh, no, that's insane. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. The, the the deadlift and meeting Obama. El Capitan was uh, climbing the rock face of El Capitan was pretty gnarly. Also, that, that was like near death experience, or like I had one near death experience where I was walking across a ledge at night. We had a portal ledge, and we were like uh-huh. sleeping there, and I was trying to go to the bathroom, go pee, and I was walking across the ledge and I realized at one point I wasn't roped in, but it was after I had okay. done my business, come back and sat down. I realized, holy shit, the rope I was on wasn't attached to anything. Man, that's, um, that's gnarly, huh? Uh, yeah, it was terrifying. Um, and, you know, like the idea of these challenges, the first one was to graduate from high school, right? Because what I said to myself is, you know, I wanted to do the, what I thought was impossible. And I remember saying, you know, this is impossible. And then I decided I'm going to do the impossible. And ever since then, ever since 18 years old, um, I've done one of these every year, done things that I think are impossible. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, would love to learn like about the marathon, or, you know, these endurance, uh, what do you say, challenges you've given yourself, like running the San Diego marathon. That's for no for people who listen, uh, who don't know how long the, the marathons are like 26 miles. 26.2. Yeah. Um, when you started, could you, could could you already do that or like were you stuck no. halfway there half marathons yeah no i i uh i couldn't run um a mile i could i made it down the street i think the first time and then <laughs> after that uh i you know like you build up to it so like as an example right now i'm doing the swim i'm trying to swim a swim marathon yeah. which is, um 10 kilometers so um 6.2 miles swimming in uh, across a lake and uh when i started in the pool i couldn't even make it to the other side of the pool how do you make uh, that giant leap from running or swimming like you uh, just, do you have a coach you like <laughs> how does I, I do a lot of research so, like first thing i do is i go out and i try it so 
like I went to the pool and I got across the pool and I got to the other side and I have asthma too. So I, I can't get over 124 beats per minute, my heart rate, or I have an asthma problem. Uh-huh. So I have to monitor that. And so I got across the pool and I was having a terrible time. I was couldn't breathe. It was awful. You know, I tried to go turn back. I had to stop in the middle. I mean, it was horrible. Um, and then I started doing research and I would sit at the end of the pool and watch people and, you know, just kind of talk to people. And then I learned how to get myself to the point that, you know, like last weekend I did four point four and a half miles swim. So 260 laps hmm. um, in four hours of nonstop swimming, which was like, uh, you know, really, you, you're really proud of yourself when you start not even being able to get across the pool. And so I, I did that and it was, uh, just a, a lot of it is just a mindset. Okay. It's just like really, um, getting comfortable with struggle, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I I can imagine swimming, swimming, you can, people drown if, you know, yeah, things go haywire. Yeah. Especially if you have asthma and you can't friggin' breathe, you know? Yeah. Um, But I think the, 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 the key, I think one of the keys for, for me is meditation and um, the other key for me is constantly making myself uncomfortable, making myself comfortable with being uncomfortable and going after, you know, major objectives, think, going after things that I think are impossible. So I'm constantly convincing myself that, that what is impossible is not impossible, you know, so, right. you know, um, that's. That's a big thing, I think. Wondering, like, what, what did it feel like to achieve a lot of these things, like meeting Obama or... Oh, man. You know, like marathon, so, finishing a yeah. marathon. What does it feel like that, that moment you, you, you cross the finish line or you hang out with him or what, you know, what was that? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the marathon was really, 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 really hard. And um, it... You know, people are doing these marathons in like two, three hours. It took me seven and a half hours. So I was running for seven and a half hours nonstop. And I never stopped. And I barely made it before they closed the course down. And when I crossed the finish line, I almost just collapsed. I did just sort of collapse and went to the medic tent. Um, But I did it, you know, And, uh, and, and it was amazing. And like meeting Barack Obama was was something that is hard to explain but you know you like i the man is just amazing to me and i love him and i don't care what your politics are the guy's amazing and um you know so i went to the to this thing to meet him and and you know you know their secret service around and and you know the the you get to a point where you can see him and I just saw him and I just sort of froze up and I started sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I was like shaking and stuff and um did you, you know, get did you get in contact with him by luck or like just no you know what what happened is when when i got into politics uh you know we were doing pretty well in terms of like um turning around um some of the districts and it it's it sort of uh got some people's attention and then that led me to um meetings that led me to meetings that you know and then somebody offered me you know, they said, hey, we're having this this event. If you want to come with your wife, you can meet Barack Obama. <laughs> okay. And I was like, I was like, fuck, yeah. You know? I mean, are you kidding me? Exactly. Um, and, and then, you know, I'm sitting there and I see him and then I walk up and, and I'm just frozen. I'm looking down at my hand because I'm shaking his hand and he's got big hands and he's shaking my hand. I can't even believe that I'm shaking Barack Obama's hand. You know, I'm just like staring down, stunned for a long time. And then he's so cool. And he was like, he was like, hey, you know, he kind of li- like lowers his head and looks at me because I'm like staring down at, at our hands. And then he's like, hey, if you want to get a picture, you're going to have to like, look <laughs> up. And he puts his like arm around me and then leans me towards the, okay. the camera. And then he, we take a picture and then, you know, and I, I got to talk to him a little bit. And, and um, the guy is just like a, a an amazing person, just, a, sure. just such a cool person. So like kind and thoughtful and he is how he seems he is he's just really you know it was just so cool you know and um my wife was with me and my wife went up to him and she's like she's like listen i know that uh you know everybody says that they love you but i think you should love me (laughs) 
and he was and he went along with it you know and he's like oh i do love you and then they were laughing <laughs> that's no. crazy and then she's like did we become best friends you know from the um the brothers movie with will ferrell and uh oh yeah yeah, yeah, she brothers, goes, yeah. we just become best friends and he goes we did become the best friends they were laughing and everything because my wife's not she's neurotypical so she, you know she can do that sort of stuff and I, and then I get up there and I'm just like frozen solid and staring at our hands. And I mean, it was amazing, man. Sure. I mean, it was, it was just, just amazing. <laughs> you know, you know, Greg, what I think I'm kind of figuring out or noticing here is, you, you, you know, you, you mentioned these, I guess, like what, what people would see as, I wouldn't, don't want to say disabilities, but like hindrances, right? Like, and, yeah. and you're turning those hindrances into like strengths or they, they're, they're becoming like your, um, building blocks for a lot of these things you've achieved it seems like yeah the, the the challenges that i have um have created you're right they are the building blocks of the person <laughs> i am now you know it's, it's interesting um i mean when you when you talk to i guess other people who have like similar i guess grew up in with similar disabilities or like just uh these struggles do you feel like they take the same mindset that you do or like you believe anything is possible are you really going to dedicate yourself to some of these audacious uh big hairy audacious goals as as you have like um or do you feel like you know that just came you know what, what do you think makes you i love that achieve? you the hag for that that's cool yeah the, yeah yeah the, yep, yep, the, yeah yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah i uh I hope so. I mean, I did the TED talk and, and that was a really big deal because, you know, at the time I didn't know that anybody really noticed. Uh, we, they call it masking where a lot of neurodivergent people can sort of hide stuff. And so we think that people can't really tell, but apparently when I, after I did the TED talk and it was kind of like coming out of the closet for the first time and I was terrified of the outcome, you know, I was like, Oh my God, what, what if, like my other investors and people find out, are they going to think I'm dumb and all that? Like people yeah. used to say in school. And then they were all like, Oh, no big deal. Oh, that explains why you can do this. And, and it turned out to be this really great thing. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I did it and took the chance in the first place is because I wanted to, to speak to other people like me and tell them that, you know, just because, you know, we have these differences you know, doesn't mean that we can't do things. We just do them differently, you know, and then that, that itself is the gift. And so these things are superpowers. They're not, you know, um, disabilities. They are abilities, wow. you know, and, you know, like, because the way that we, you know, like, you know, if you ever look at those pictures that have a whole bunch of little tiny pictures and it makes the big picture. And if you stick <laughs> at it just right, you can see the big picture. That's us, right? And everybody's looking at the big picture, but we see all the little pieces in between the fabric of what everybody else sees. And that's an advantage when it comes to business, you know, because we see things different than everybody else. So in terms of competition, all the competition is looking at things the same way. Uh, the neurodivergent are looking at things a different way. So we see an angle with things that other people just can't see because they just don't have that brain. Wow. No, that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, you were mentioning like you did a TED talk and you were worried about like how you'd be perceived. Um, I mean, like, you know, how did that go? Uh, that it was, it was awesome. I couldn't do it on the dot, you know, like I wanted <laughs> to because I was having a really hard time with the whole situation. Um, you know, they have a lot of rules and stuff. So, I was just having a hard time. So I ended up doing it in a studio, but it worked out really, really well. I mean, really well. And, you know, it, it's got, I don't know, 80 or 80 something thousand people have looked at it and mm -hmm. people come in. I get to talk to other people that are divergent who, you know, are telling me that they're moved by the thing and, and hopefully motivated. And uh, so it makes me really happy, you know, to be able to help. Um, but the the issue is like, you know, this is Autism Awareness Month, and you know everybody always has Awareness Month. There's always not some Awareness Month, but the difference between Autism Awareness Month and the other months is that, you know, we don't have handicapped parking spots. 
we don't have walking signs with tones and bumps okay. so that we're, we don't have any of, nobody is doing anything for people that are on the spectrum um, to, to help us get through life. Even school is ridiculous. I mean, you know, the special education programs are horrific and, um, you know, so becoming more aware that there are people that are divergent hopefully will lead to, you know, you know, some, some way that, that the people that are divergent instead of being um, left behind can be focused on, right? Because Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, you know, Einstein, They're um, all some, something <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, right? Chris Rock, um, you know, uh, you, you know, the list goes on and on and on, right? It, these are all some of the most amazing people that have come out with things that have changed the world. And these people are on the spectrum. And how many of these people that are on the spectrum get left behind because there is an awareness of the fact that these people can change the world if they're, um, if they're, you know, given a little help, like a handicapped person, you know, they get a, a cane or, and they have stoplights or they get a wheelchair or they get whatever, right? They have something to help them level the playing field. But the people that are neurodivergent, you know, they just say, here's medicine, you know, and there's no educational program for them. There's no way to apply for a job that's different than everybody else. You know, sure. it, it, there's, there's a ramp to get to the job for somebody that's in a wheelchair, but there's no way for an autistic person to fill out an application and do an interview in a way that shows the gift that we have. And I think that's a shame. Sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's good to get to pay, pay, or like recognize that. That's... Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the data shows that you know, uh, seven out of 10 people that are startup entrepreneurs are, are on one of the spectrums. So the, the ADD, spectrum oh, they have one of those. Yeah. Uh, neurodivergence includes like dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, ADD, autism, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, the, the, the thing that you think about is that innovation comes from the minds of people that think differently. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Those people are left behind right now. And so when I talk about autism awareness, it's like, you know, let's take a look at these people. Maybe there are some solutions for some of the world's problems if we can uh, incubate those thoughts and help these people along, you know, yeah, people that's like me. Pretty fascinating. I mean, yeah, I, I do recall like Elon Musk on, on like um, SNL, if you saw that episode, yeah, he was saying he has like Asperger's, Asperger's or something. Yeah, which is just level one, aut 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 uh, level one autism, which is like what I have. Uh huh. No way. Um, uh, at first, was, uh, when I heard that, I was like, uh, "Are you sure? Because you're pretty successful. Like, how does this?" That's, see, that's what I mean by autism. That means that's what I mean by like just being aware, right? Is that people always think, you know, that they don't think positive things, right, about yeah. people that are like. But I mean, some of us are, you know, incredibly. Uh, really into hyper intelligent, you know, and, and, and the way it works is that you have like, if you were to look at a line graph, you would have the line going straight up in some areas and then go straight down in other areas. And the Delta between the low area and the high area creates um, like you, you have problems. You know, you can only receive information through your eyes and your ears. Uh -huh. Right. And you can only, um take information out of your head and put it back through your mouth else's right? head through you know through your mouth um by talking or writing right but if you have uh, a problem you know consuming data in a traditional way or you know pushing data out and and you can't do it that way like you have dyslexia so you now don't don't have the reading you so you have to listen right or you have dyslexia and you can't write very well because everything gets mixed up and so you have to dictate right like that's no different than somebody who can't run or walk and they have an artificial limb or they have a wheelchair or something right sure but there aren't those sort of tools for for people like us right and but if you were to give those tools to people like us you create people like me and elon musk and not to compare me with him <laughs> he's obviously a whole different Rate you know, of the thing. Right. Yeah, but you know, you get the point, right? I mean, it's, um, it, it's, I think, a serious subject. That's why I did the TED Talk. And I think that a lot of the, 
business success I've had and things like that are because of, you know, you know, being able to see and build patterns and processes for things like boss, um, which I talked about, which are different than the way other people to see things. I, I create processes out of everything and could, patterns could, out of yeah, everything. Greg, you know? I, I mean, could, I guess like coming in on the show, we normally talk to people more about their business, but I really like how you're explaining your life. Oh, sorry. We can business. talk about all the business. No, no, it's, it's, well. <laughs> okay, just, just curious, like what, what, what regards to, to boss or like, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the being a founder, things like that. Yeah, totally. The, in, the research I did on why entrepreneurs fail said that, you know, 51.7% of them fail in the first 12 months and the rest fail over five years, right? So about half in the first 12 months and the other half over the following five years. And so it's the data showed me that in the following five years, a lot of the reasons why they were failing are things that actually happened in the first year. So even though the data says that they fail in the first year, they fail over the following five years for the same for the for reasons that happen in the first year. Okay. Wow. So when when I created Boss and I was wrapping around that data as well as the interviews and everything else, I was trying to figure out ways to prevent that from happening. And like an example of that is, you know, you ask somebody that's just starting a business what their exit strategy is. Like, where do you want to sell your business, right? And when and how much? And they say, no, I don't know. They have no idea. And if you ask investors, they say, oh, it's too early. And, and <laughs> I get into a lot of debates with people. But the fact of the matter is that big companies that buy other companies don't have innovation. They buy innovation, right? So if what I mean by, by that by is- buy, you mean hire people? or They buy you... companies that have innovation. Oh, gotcha. So you see these acquisitions all the time. Those are people buying in, in, innovation. And the reason why they're buying innovation is either to save or make money. And when it comes to making money or saving money, it's built off of the lifetime value. So if you have a lifetime value of a customer and now that customer uh, you've already paid for, which is your CAC. So you have your customer acquisition cost to your LTV. Your LTV, LTV CAC, it's three. Right. Yeah, remember VCs love it if it's three or Exactly, something. right. And, and so... <laughs> How do you make more margin off of customers that you've already paid for by growing the lifetime value? How do you grow the lifetime value by selling them more products? How do you do that by in, by buying other companies that have products that your customers will buy? So going back to what I said about the exit strategy as an example, you would never build a product without having a customer. But if your whole company is just a product to the acquirer's customers, then why would you build a business without having a buyer? It's illogical, right? Because I made the colossal mistake of building a business one time and not thinking about the buyer. And when I went to sell the business, they said, oh, your ICP, your ideal customer profile and persona are different than ours. So our customers won't buy your product. Half of them will. So we'll buy half of your business. We'll give you half the value. <laughs> and I realized at that point that you know, when a company like a Salesforce buys another company, they're buying that company to sell your whole company is just a product to them, right? They, they want those products to sell to, I'm sorry. I thought those were my, the dogs. <laughs> there's a dog upstairs too. It's, it's, yeah, so it's no, okay. I have, a, um, I have a, some coyotes that like to come up and visit and he goes crazy over them. Um, oh, wow. are, you, are you in rural San Diego or like to the I'm east? I'm on top of a mountain um, in San Diego. It's okay. Really cool. I have like a mountain and the ocean and everything. It's really beautiful. Nice. Um, yeah. So anyway, you have this like, uh, you know, you have this idea of an acquirer buying a product to sell to their existing customers that they've already paid for to increase the lifetime value and therefore increase the CAC to LTV ratio. Right. Mm -hmm. So if that's the scenario, why wouldn't you think about the acquirer just like you're thinking about the customer when you start in the first place? Because if you raise cash and you go into your go to market and then you go start building customers and building customers, a lot of those customers or all of those customers could be customers that don't mean anything to your acquirer. And you're just undermining your own ability to sell the business to the acquirer. So that's an example of, of what boss does. That's different than everybody else that I learned from the research, right? Is like you see companies, there's a company today that failed that, uh, you know, that had raised like a hundred million dollars was going after a billion dollar valuation 
This is a, another example. And they overvalued the business because they weren't thinking about how much the acquirer would pay for the business in the exit strategy. Like, so what I mean, an IPO, all these things are just acquisitions. If somebody buys stock, they're acquiring stock. It's an acquisition, right? So if, if you look at that scenario, this is a different scenario, but the same idea of thinking about like starting with the end in mind. Sure. And this is an example of where if you do your, your comparables, right? So let's use an analogy of real estate. If you buy a house and you want to sell your house, they do a, an appraisal. And the appraisal includes three comparables. Other houses, Similar homes in like, the same neighborhood. Exactly. And that gives you the price, right? And then the market price is the market price. If you're building a business and you're raising cash and you're setting the valuation of your business and you don't do comparables, you can outprice your business. And the venture community, a lot of times they want to see the price go up, go up, go up so they can show their limited partners, your yeah. LPs, yeah. right? That they're... That the value is with their money and stuff like that. Right. So the motivation leads to overvaluation. What that means is that somebody, uh, you know, let's say that you're you're raising, you know, $10 million at a $20 million valuation. Round two comes up. You're raising another $10 million at a $50 million valuation. But you haven't done any research to see if the acquirers are paying for top line revenue or bottom line profit and what sort of multiple they're paying off of that. So you could outprice your deal as soon as the investors get wind of that, which usually happens later on, which happened to this particular deal. Then what happens is they stop investing because there's no room for profit, right? And then you run out of money, company dries up, and you're out of business. So you know, sure, sure. yeah. So this is like something. So you have to start with the end in mind in order to uh, know that you're not outpricing your deal in order to know that you're building the right customers in the first place, in order to know that you're building the right business for the acquirer, which means you have to start by thinking about your acquirers and then back into the business. When you're building a business, it's like a GPS, right? And with the GPS, you have to know where you are and you have to know where you're going. Those are the two things you have to know. And then the middle is the turn-by-turn -turn directions. It tells you how much fuel you're going to use. It tells you where you're going to turn, how long it's going to get there, how long it's yeah. going to take. All of that stuff is the, the plan in between. But you can't do that unless you have a destination first, which is why you have to start with the exit strategy first and then back in the rest of the plan. And this is a very common, you know, I get into arguments with people on panels, but they never win because it's illogical to go about it. It's just a it's just like, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> like you don't go on vacation and just leave the house without having anywhere you're going. How would you know how to pack, how long you're going to be done, how much money you need, how long it's going to take, where you're going to stay, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, I, th I think that's a common, I wouldn't, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very common with startups. Like, it doesn't seem like there's a, you know, elaborate plan for the end in mind, right? Like, it's just, we'll see what happens today and, if something good happens, then good. If nothing good happens, then we're kind of screwed in the end, right? So, yeah, uh, it's sort of like... Um, or any business uh, kind of works in that, in that, like... Absolutely works that way. And, uh, and like, when I achieve these goals, you know, I set the goal and then I back into the plan. You know, I don't just start running. Can, can you put that in the, you know, in terms of running or in terms of maybe jumping off the cliff that, I, you know, there's a picture of you doing, like, how does that same mindset work in towards, like, one of those oh, the things. Jump. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did that, um, <laughs> how do you, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. So I, Cause, I mean, I, I could imagine just me, I, like anyone, right. Like they'll just jump, but if they have a big fear, they're not fit to do it or, you know what yeah. I mean? You, you, you know, when you start with the end in mind and you start out by saying, okay, I'm going to um, do X, I'm going to build a business. I'm going to run a marathon. It doesn't matter whatever it is. Right. You start out with like, that's what I'm going to do. And then you say, okay, what are the steps that I need to achieve in order to accomplish that? And then you say, what are the measurements of those steps, right? So the key performance indicators of those steps. So as an example, there are leading and lagging indicators. And lagging indicators are financials. Most entrepreneurs and investors use financials as the lagging indicator. And, uh, you know, they go, okay, let's look at the financials. But the truth is that those financials were driven from numbers that were originated six months ago, right? Because by the time a 
an action becomes a financial driver, it's like six months on average, sometimes years in advance. So by looking at the financials as a measurement for the performance of your business, it's like driving down the freeway, looking at the rear view mirror, right? Yeah, sure. So instead, what you do is you look at the most leading indicators. So as an example, let's say you're judging sales, okay? And you're like, okay, well, what did we do in sales this month, right? All of that is lagging because it's, it's already happened. There's nothing you can do about it. It's already done. So what you have to do then is you have to say, okay, what created the sales? So you say, well, content generation and leads and demos and contracts, and those things become your KPIs. One leads to the next, leads to the next, and ultimately creates the financial numbers. Does that make sense? So you have leading indicators that lead to lagging indicators that lead to valuation drivers, which are always growth, margin, and retention. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, income statement stuff, yeah. You know, with that being said, I mean, can we, can I guess talk about the, the jump you did, right? Like the, the, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, my goal was to do a base jump. Um, and, um, you know, I've done bungee jumping and skydiving and all kinds of other stuff. And I wanted to do a base jump, which, which is where you jump off a cliff with a parachute or you can jump off a building or a bridge or a helicopter. Did, did you do that in Arizona or? I did it in uh, Utah. Okay. I found this um, near Arches National Park. Arch, Arches National Park. I found this cliff, and I found this guy. It's called Base Jump Moab. Just do a <laughs> plug for him real quick. This dude Andy was just really awesome guy, and I found him through some research. And then, uh, you know, we walked out to the cliff. We did some practice stuff, um, and then we walked out to the edge of the cliff. And then I just jumped off. Um, and, um, it was, and this is in my website, gregoryshepherd.com. You can see it under inspiration, yeah, yeah. but yeah, it was like you step off and you hit terminal velocity in, you know, milliseconds. So you're going 200 something miles an hour in just a couple of seconds. And then the parachute opens and then you glide down, or if you're me, you crash into the dirt. Um, and it was actually broke a world record. I was the heaviest base jump um oh my gosh uh, no way yeah so you know um but it was it was uh i also don't have the same with my divergence i don't have uh the same um i guess like levels of fear or something that other people have so for oh, me, it was just, no way. yeah i it was just exhilarating it wasn't like i wasn't scared it was just like ooh we you know kind of thing how do you feel like if you're on an airplane and there's turbulence like do you feel you start no. thinking like what what do you what happens what's your experience nothing. i mean nothing. <laughs> it, yeah the, nothing you know catastrophic I mean, yeah i have to be really careful so like during covid i have this electric skateboard and it's like a tesla skateboard it's got okay independent suspension it's an off-road board it's got six inches of lift and independent suspension with coil springs and it goes <laughs> like 40 miles an hour and to give you an idea of the fear thing, I was hauling ass down this dirt trail <laughs> and I hit a thing and the wheel broke off and I sailed like 15 feet and ended up in, inten- in the hospital in intensive care for like a week. I broke eight ribs and, you know, broke oh, my jaw. Man, and, sorry to hear this. Yeah, no. Yeah. And you're you're good now though, right? <laughs> yeah. That's an example of like, um, you know, not having the fear maybe that I should have. Do, do, is that because of your your neurodivergence? I so I, I I don't know, but I, I kind of feel like maybe uh, that it's part of it because a lot of things for me are sort of uh, not as it's interesting because there's this blend of like some yeah. things are like everything is too fast and too loud and too bright and too many things going on and it, it's hard to. It becomes it put into like words a, or hard to explain. Yeah, it's like a, your thoughts are like spaghetti, just a bowl of just all over spinning around everywhere. Um, and so and yeah. you get headaches and stuff. And yeah. then on the other side, um, things that people are afraid of for me are neutral, like not, uh, you know, just kind of like boring almost. <laughs> have you, you know? have you seen that one movie it's with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro? It's, I think it's, let me let me search it up really quick because I just uh, know that in that movie there was like this thing where they had a 
they had um, a, a cure for, uh, okay, so the movie was called Awakenings. You, you ever seen that? Yeah. You've seen that movie? Yeah. I yeah. think what happens in that movie, I think like they, like, I guess Robin Williams is like a doctor again. And then like Robert De Niro is like suffering through some disease, but he's able to walk and get, he gets out of the hospital, but they don't believe. I think it's the Parkinson's or something like that. Yeah. Like nerve, nerve twitching. Yeah. He's in like a coma or something. And then he comes out and he's like normal or whatever. Like, uh, like with, with that being like the kind of premise of this conversa- conversation, like, uh, man, I lost my train of thought, man. <laughs> Is no, it's it, okay. uh, I mean, like that, for me, it's not like, um, it's not like a, a it, it's not a feeling it's not like that it's just sort of like you know like <laughs> if i'm you know rock climbing up like el capitan and i look down um oh. you know it's it's more stimulating to my brain to see the the angles and the the exposure and stuff than it is fear it's just uh huh. data and and not emotion i guess just data, not emo- no. Yeah, that's that's incredible, yeah. man. That's, that's a that sounds pretty. That sounds like a that's a, that sounds like a good thing, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that like most people, you know, think that the brain drives emotion, but I think the emotion drives brain for most people. Uh huh. Because um, I see people, and their emotions are lying to them, like they're having this you know, some stupid small thing happened and then they're all upset and freak yeah. out over it. And you're like, it's your, if you look logically, your whole day was good except for one thing, but now you're ruining your whole day because of that one stupid thing. Yeah. And yeah so that's emotion ruling the brain. Right. But if the brain was ruling, ruling emotion, then the brain would just be like, Oh, it's one stupid thing in an otherwise good day. I think that uh, for me, and I, I don't know if this is the same for all people, for all people that are on the spectrum but um for me it's you know it's the only time i have like emotional stuff is and that's hard is if i get overstimulated with like you know lights or sounds or something that kind of blue or whatever but if it's just normal stuff then everything is just data in and data out and i can just kind of like deal with it you know like in business it's just information and uh you know how do i optimize the information how do i monetize the information and so on yeah no that's that's so cool i think uh everyone does put a mental block on themselves for you know it's just natural doubt but um yeah like, like you know you're coming home you have a good day and then some jackass you know doesn't merge on the freeway like a zipper like <laughs> you're supposed to do instead he drives down the shoulder and cuts over at the last minute and then you're all pissed off yeah, yeah. and then you get home and you're pissed off right that's emotion driving logic but in, logic in driving totality emotion. you know you or i would have had a pretty all right day good day if, yeah. if you look at it that way right yeah and you're like oh this guy's an ass you know okay fine whatever <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy man um greg you know uh this is a pretty cool story. I don't think uh, it's common for me to have conversations with uh, in these types of conversations. So it's, it's pretty cool. What is one more thing we can we can sort of learn about? Or well, we can do. Um, the, I think an interesting thing to talk maybe would be to talk about um, the from the business perspective. Um, sure. The first part of boss is to have a north star. And the reason why I have a North Star is because if you're crossing the ocean from one place to another and you don't have a North Star, if you're one degree off, you end up in a different continent and that's building a business. So a North Star always keeps you focused uh, in the right direction, like the right vector. Well, what do you think your North Star was or is? Well, the North Star is a process of what, why, who, when, how. It's all those things. So what is your business description, feature, and benefit? Why should somebody buy your, your product, right? Problem, solution, impact. Who, that's your persona and your ICB. Your persona is the person that works at the company and the ideal customer profile is the business itself. They're two different things. For, for podcasts, I know, Greg, you have one too. Like, what do you think is a North Star with that? Like, I mean... With the podcast? 
yours or people's in general or yeah i think (laughs) same thing right so if you're doing your podcast what is your podcast right so that's made up of description and feature and benefit to the to the listener and so the way you do that is you say what is your podcast and you think of one word let's just do it real quick Tell, tell me one word that explains your podcast just one word uh growth growth okay give me one another word uh inspiration so now you have two words and you do this with a bunch of words and then you then take those words and you put the stuffing in between right and that's your what statement that's your that's your description so your description is you you say growth and inspiration (laughs) right yeah so you say you know our podcast is for growth and inspiration uh for and now you have the, the beginning so now like, what's the feature of it right well we feature you know yes, thought there. leaders exceptional people and then what's the benefit well people listening get information and uh, uh experiences and motivation and whatever and then you put them all together and now you have your your what statement wow right? man. So, <laughs> does that make sense yeah no pretty impressive no yeah i mean i'm yeah. gonna and then your why right so your why is why should your listeners listen to your podcast like what's your what's your why right so problem well most podcasts don't have these kind of people those kind of people and so that problem has a solution so your solution to that is we host people that have these different ways of thinking about things etc etc and then the impact of that the impact is the listener gets a perspective that they don't get from other podcasts from real people t- telling real right. stories, right? And now you have your what, and you have your, your you have your why, and now you say your who. So who is your the people you're talking to? <laughs> so let's start with the persona. The average person is a, uh, a person who is b- between the ages of this and this. So you 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 like let's say it's Jane. Okay, sure. you, you give the uh, avatar, and you say. You know, the avatar of who is Jane, and she's between 30 and 40 years old. Um, She's starting a business. She has a college education. Um, She listens to podcasts to learn about how to build a business. Um, She lives in the United States, um, and she plays different sports and whatever, whatever, right? Now you have the person. And so now you have your who, right? So now you have your what, your why, and your who. So the next thing is that you go in and you say, okay, well, um, you know, when am I going to sell this business? So if it's a podcast that you're going to sell, when are you going to sell it? And so you say, okay, well, I'm going to sell it when I have X number of X episodes, X number of downloads and X number of subscribers. And then you can model out how far away that is, right? And now you know when and then how much. So you say, okay, well, what are other podcasts selling for? Well, people are buying podcasts for, let's say, five times top line revenue and or, you know, three times bottom line revenue or something like that. So now you have your how much. And that's very interesting, Greg, man. Very very interesting there. Yeah. I I didn't even start. And you use that everywhere. Use that in your pitch decks when you're raising money. Use that in your website. Use that in your messaging. And you create what's called a narrative spine. And the narrative spine is, uh, I want you to think about a spine with vertebrae. Yeah. And each one of the vertebrae is a topic. So let's say that the topic comes from your North Star. So growth is one of your vertebrae. Now, underneath that vertebrae, you stack out a bunch of different bylines, so different subject matters that have to do with growth. And you do that with each one of the things that are in your North Star going out, and that's your narrative spine for your first 12 months. And each one of those uh, topics that are underneath each one of the vertebrae are a blog post, a video, an Instagram, whatever it is. And now you have content to display across all social media because yes, the way that that works is you have watch, listen, read. Like I said earlier, people absorb information yeah. <laughs> through watch, listen, read, right? So there are platforms that already prove this, right? So YouTube is a watch, right? Instagram is a watch. TikTok is a watch. So now you look at a read. Blogs are a read. Facebook, for more, more, more often than not, is a read. Twitter is a read. And then you have Listen. That's a podcast, which you're doing Apple, right now. Apple, Spotify. Right. You know, so now what you have is you have content, and you create that content in different ways. And each one of these creates these little funnels 
on the narrative spine. You put that, float that out into the world, yeah. and you're flooding the world with content that's relative to your North Star. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's that's an example, science, and that's right? one of the yeah yeah that's why we call it boss startup science. You know, that's that's interesting. Yeah, um, and and this is all. There's courses for this. I'll give you a login, and you sweet. can just go in. You can sweet. take the courses. Yeah, and you can like it's the same courses that the the students take, and you can actually <laughs> take the course. There's a a listen, watch, read. If you want to listen to it, you can listen to it. If you want to watch a video, if you want to read text, and then there's practicum. And then there's tools on top of that. Practicum means that it asks you questions like, yeah. let's say you're doing your, um, your, your North Star, and it'll say, okay, what is your what? And then it explains it all to you, and then you type it in, and then it goes, okay, here's your what, right? And it goes through and does the work with you as you're learning, uh, and you learn from these different formats, Pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool, man. I mean, th these, this curriculum stuff is really cool. We hired uh, really high level people, uh, CIA <laughs> people, um, you know, uh, PhD people that specialize in pedagogy, which is like how people learn. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they're, you know, Air Force fighter pilot curriculum writers for uh, F 16 fighter pilots. I mean, the curriculum is really on point and it's built to teach anybody um, regardless of your education or if you're divergent or whatever. Wow. That's so, so I'm going to check it out for sure. That's, that's pretty interesting. And yeah. Just email too. me and I'll send you an invitation. In fact, if anybody's listening, they want that just contact the, the show here, the podcast. Sure, yeah. And, we'll we'll make, yeah. The, make, the, make that a thing. Um, yeah. I'll give Greg? them all free memberships. Hey, you're the man, Greg. Uh, coming to the near end of the podcast here, but Greg, we always like to end with two normal questions or standardized questions. Um, first one being, uh, if you were to travel back in time and talk to Greg, the 20 year old, uh, knowing, you know, you, you've achieved a lot of goals that you've had. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting. Like, what would you, what would you say to oh, yourself back in the day? You asked that because last night I was sitting out on my, my outdoor room and I was looking out at the sun setting over the ocean on top of this mountain. And I'm like, I have this awesome house, you know, Yeah. and I'm sitting out there and my kids are out and my wife and, and, you know, and I'm just looking at my life. And I was thinking if I saw this picture when I was a kid, it would have changed my whole life because I would have realized it's going to work out. Huh. And, um, and, and not knowing that it's going to work out you know, it was kind of torture in the beginning, you know, really just trying to come up, just knowing that if I stick to the path that in the end, you know, things are going to go my way, um, was, would have been amazing. I think if I were to tell myself something, um, I, I would have said, you know, the things that you think are holding you back are the very things that are your greatest gifts. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I mean, you know, mentioning, are you, you know, alluding to how you weren't cut out to work a real job under someone, right? Like that seems to be mm -hmm. something that you had to encounter, go through. And I think that's like the essence of being an entrepreneur, just being not only your own boss as your company's, you know, like oddly, I mean, uh, ironically named boss capital, but I think just figuring out things as as they go every every day, it's, it seems like that's what you were doing. I mean, I know you were, I even read about, I, I think I read a post about how you were uh, talking about running the marathon and going really slow and just yeah. seeing that you were moving. That's, that's how you were able to finish a marathon. It's not, not necessarily like a big giant race, whether it's just all about finishing. Yeah. And you know, I have asthma like you do. Yeah. Um, I have asthma sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I could see your puffer. Um, so I, I know, like you, you know, you can't move as fast as everybody. So it's not about like how fast I go. It's just, a, just, can I do it? Can I cross the finish line? Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, I mean, it, you know, thinking that like asthma can hold you back is like thinking that neurodivergence can hold you back. And then when you overcome these things, you realize, well, shit, how far can I push this? Like, how did you, man, how did you keep going though? Did you like just, uh, it was a training that got you there or like, yeah, I, you know, my asthma is based off of my heart rate. 
Okay. So basically, you know, when your heart rate speeds up, your breathing speeds up and the breathing causes that, like, you know, that tightening that when it's closing yeah. in on you kind of yeah. feeling. So what I learned is I just have to keep my breathing pattern underneath 120 underneath five. the heart rate. Yeah. And, and I have an Apple watch that helps me track my heart rate. Is that, is that, um, let's say, is that a process or what causes your heart rate to, or how do you do that? Like in your head or in your body? I just, I, I just go slow and I just really breathe like through, like when, when there's a book called breath, which is all about breathing through your nose. James Master, Yeah. No. Yeah. And one of the things that they learn is that if you're breathing through your mouth, your nose is responsible for breathing in and calculating communicating to your brain and if you're breathing through your mouth which happens with asthma right you, you're just trying to gasp try, trying to get some air in you know it's like yeah. breathe through a pillow you know um so you breathe, breathe mainly through your nose when you were doing yeah ice? so i breathe through my nose and i take long slow breaths and i just keep i focus on my breath and i focus on like staying you know underneath the heart rate that triggers it i can feel you know how you can feel it happening you can feel it coming yeah. yeah yeah yeah, a little bit yeah yeah so i stay underneath that if i feel a little hinge of it i pay a lot of attention to it and i learned that from uh, meditating you know from wow. being more aware of my body and more aware of my thoughts so now when i doing whenever i'm doing exercises i can like pay attention to my body and i can feel and i and i talk to myself so as i'm running or swimming or whatever you know, I'm like, okay, I hear you. And I, and I respect my body, you know, I say, okay, you know, this is like, we're given this little um, machine to live in, you know? Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I go, okay, I hear you. I understand. We'll slow down and get like, I, like I'm talking. To you, you don't let your ego necessarily get in the way, right? Like, yeah. You know. I'm just like, Hey, listen, man, you know, I'm going to take care of you here. Let's slow down, get this under control. And I think that's exactly how I sort of talk to myself. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, it's definitely proven itself to be useful and lead to a lot of uh, overcoming challenges. Just that nose or that breathing. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, being aware, like generally being aware of your thoughts and your gets you more in tune with your body. And then you, you know, like think about, yeah. like, can we, can, do you have command over your brain? You know, people always say, oh, yeah, I have command over my brain. Well, try meditating for two minutes and see if you can think about nothing, right? And right. very difficult to do. It takes a long time to, to do that. So then you say, okay, well, try meditating for 10 minutes and just notice your thoughts before they happen. And you can't even do that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but then you realize, well, do you have control over your brain? I, I do. I have written, probably not, but uh, it depends on the person. But I think like 90% of our thoughts are subconscious, right? Like they're not necessarily conscious. So, yeah. So, it's like we don't. Or what do you, what is the answer? What do you, yeah. No, you're right. It's like most people can't control their brain. That's why everybody has a hard time with meditation. So, if you focus on trying to be more in tune, and I don't, you, you're not, not trying to control it, you're just trying to be aware of it, right? So, sure. I don't like try to think about nothing when I'm meditating. I try to think about, I try to just catch my thoughts, like a, a, like a truck driving by with a sign on it. And I just okay. go, oh, and then I don't judge it. I go, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I do have to do that today. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. And then I move on. <laughs> to the next one. And, and that alone gets you more in tune. So like when I'm running, I can, you know, it's like listening to my body is the same as listening to my brain. And I can hear, oh, I'm having asthma coming, uh, you know, maybe I need to, okay, I hear you and s slow down just my breathing whatever whatever you know i don't know that's fascinating one last question one last thing here greg is if you were to summarize your personal startup mindset and make it into a sentence or two what would uh what would, what would that be i would say that uh you know start with the end in mind you know start with understanding where you're going to end up before you take your first step because as soon as you, it's just like running a marathon or, or going anywhere, right? As soon as you start walking, you're heading a direction. Shouldn't you choose the direction before you start walking? For sure. Well, Greg, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk to you for even more time, but 
I think that's all I, I could come up with in 60 minutes, man. So it's, it's been a pleasure. How do, how do our listeners find out more about yourself and, and or um, Boss Capital Partners? Yeah, so you can go to, my website is gregoryshepherd.com. Um, and then uh, the, for, the, for the academy, it's uh, bossstartupscience.com. And then our, uh, our syndicate for investing is bosscapitalpartners.com. Sweet. Well, Greg, I mean, can't, can't say enough about uh, the wisdom you've provided today. So thanks uh, a million. Thank you. I hope you have a really good rest of the day. Hey, that does it for another episode of Sarah Mindsets. Uh, we want to do a shout-out. So we want to shout-out our very first listeners to the show. If you made it uh, with us to episode 60, um, you guys are literally the, the best. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, who thought we would have gotten to episode 60? Uh, my original thought was like getting up to like in the 20s and, and just calling it quits from there and using that. Uh I guess a sort of like people range to build the content of the book. Um, and yeah, uh, so with up, update to the book, we have, we're, we're in contact with a couple publishers right now or agents um, who work with publishing houses. So that's exciting. Uh, we don't quite yet know exactly where that's going to go. Um, we do feel like the content of the book is lacking a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but uh, there are some really great parts in there, and you know, tying everything together is definitely a challenge. Um, but it's one that uh, we're willing to do, and uh, you know, it's it's historical to, to write a book, and you know, this podcast has only uh, uh, helped us out along the way, so that's amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, more amazing things to come. We're thinking of uh, doing merch, um, so sweaters, hoodies, um, things like that, stickers. Uh, as well as you know, getting some sponsors uh, to pay for ad time on the on the show. So if you're, you're a sponsor or your company who's thinking about um, putting ad space into our podcast, uh, feel free to email us at startmindsets at gmail dot com, and you know we could discuss rates and and uh, metrics from there. But you know, so uh, happy to be the host here, uh, and uh, excited for the future. So peace out.